I deeply believe that the common thread mm -hmm. of highly successful people is their ability to communicate mm -hmm. well, particularly in writing. Welcome to Beyond High Street. My name is Jenny Derrick and I'm a Dean of the Farmer School of Business here at Miami University. Today I am joined by Roger Howe who graduated from the Farmer School with a bachelor's degree back in 1957 and when Roger agreed to come on this podcast he did point out that one of my recent guests Will Grant who, who was a finance graduate in 2017, graduated 60 years after Roger. So as our listeners expect, we will be talking about Roger's journey through Miami University, but and especially um, his ongoing commitment to the university. And there's a lot of great stories that we want to shed a light on. So welcome, Roger. Welcome to Beyond High Street. Delighted to be with you, Jenny. <laughs> During the podcast, as our listeners know, we do weave through a range of topics so that our listeners can get to know you more, more about your journey and your reflections along the way. And for those who might have made the connection, Roger and his wife Joyce are the donors to the How Writing, How Centre for Writing Excellence. So you are listening to the the man himself, Roger Howe, who supported the writing program here that we have at Miami University. So let me begin. I was in my notes. I often ask, why did you choose the farmer school? But I think you went to college with Dick Farmer. So, so, so I'm going to rephrase my question. How, why, did, why did you choose Miami? Uh, Jenny, I, I'd never, I grew up on a farm in northern Ohio, and I had never heard of Miami. I, I went to a very small school and a neighboring school just down the road my best friend and I were talking about college. And he said, well, I'm going to Miami University. And I said, well, that's in Florida. He said, no, no, it's the Miami University in Ohio. And uh, I said, well, tell me about it. And he said, well, I've never been there, but my brother was there. And he thought it was the most beautiful place uh, that he'd seen. And he just raved and raved about Miami. And based on that, I'm going there. Well, I later did some research, found out that indeed it was a very impressive school. And so I said to him, okay, if you're going to Miami, I'll go there too. That's about as simple as it could. I had never seen it. But um, at the last minute, he got a basketball scholarship to Kent State and <laughs> he went to Kent and I went to Miami. <laughs> Did you see the campus before you turned up on the first day? Oh, I, I I went down and kind of did things yeah. and visited the campus and saw it. So I, I had, I did. Uh, after I knew I was going there. And I think many, you know, we know the story well, that once you see the beautiful campus, we we find it very easy to attract students to to here. So talk to me about what you studied at university and then your early career when you graduated. Well, I was a business major. Uh, it was just called the School of Business. And within the business school, I uh, there was a specialty part of it, like things like finance, accounting, what have you. But there was one called general business. And uh, it was for 
described as for people who thought someday they might like to have their own business. And to get become a business, a general business major, you had I had to go see Dean Raymond Gloss. And he interviewed me as to whether this would be a good thing for me or whether I was serious. And he uh, admitted me to the general business category, which um, was a great break for me. Do you remember, Roger, do you remember how many students were in the business school and when you were here? About? No, I don't remember how many were in the business school, but when uh, I started, when I, my first year, I think there were about 4,200 students at Miami. And when we graduated, there were about 7,200 to 7,500. That's remarkable growth. A change in those years. Mm. So when you graduated in 1957, if I'm not mistaken, and, and tell me about the first job and how you found your first job. I was uh, actually recruited to by a Boston paper manufacturer. My father had been associated with this company. And there were many people, uh, executives of the company that had come to our farm, stayed with us and who I'd known over the years. And one of them became an advocate and pushed to have me hired. Up to that point, there was an unwritten rule that no sons of executives would could go to work for the company. And that rule was changed in my case, which... Uh, was kind of nice. So you started off, if I'm re recording correctly, in sales and marketing and advertising as well. So talk to me about those early early responsibilities that you had. Well, the first part of it, the better part of a year, was working in a paper mill in Portland, Maine, learning every aspect of paper making. And uh, then I did a stint at uh, in the army for six months. Then I was sent to Carnegie Tech to printing school. And that was part of our training to understand uh, how our paper was used and how the printing processes worked. And then I was assigned to the Cincinnati uh, market. It's a region. And that was a great break because I had a wonderful uh, mentor there who was quite instrumental in my career after that. So I believe after uh, about 13 years there, you decided to buy your own company. So talk to me about why you decided to buy a company and why you ended up, if I'm not mistaken, in Precision Optics. Uh, I, I, going back to what I said to Dean Glass, is that someday I would hope to have my own business. And that was always something in the back of my mind. I'd done some, I'd had some brushes with business and my farming activities. Um, but uh, another thing happened. My company, which is a wonderful company, was was merged with a larger company and the cultures were not the same. And I didn't think the other, the larger, the acquirer's culture was um, 
what I wanted to be a part of. And so I left that job and uh, with the objective to buy, we were in Boston at that time. And I, uh, I was, I left with the objective of buying a business, a specialty business. I had a criteria specialty in nation in nature that is a niche business national in market and not a startup or a save and uh that's and so i ended up buying a little company with 13 people that had been in business for close to 40 years and uh making optics and uh, after that, the company got bigger. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, you grew up from 12 or 13 people to about 600 in the time that you owned it. Yeah, and my association with it and as chairman, it was ultimately I sold it to Corning Glass Company. And uh, part of the deal was that I it was a requirement that I stay on and as chairman uh, of, and they ran it as an independent company with a board of directors. Mm -hmm. And during that time, it actually got up to well over a thousand people. And just before I go on to your, your career post selling the company, and you talked a couple of times about wanting to start your own business, but if I'm not mistaken, you did start a bicycle business when you were a student. Am I right? <laughs> yes. I, another fellow and I had a bicycle. Miami had a, we had a fixed market. Miami, the Miami book that they sent to all entering freshmen said in the only sentence in bold letters said, if you feel it's necessary to have an automobile, you should choose another university. <laughs> it was that direct. So here we were. Here's there are only two professors on the campus who rode bicycles and nobody could have cars. And uh, I have to give my partner, uh, who's still my lawyer today, the credit for uh, thinking up the idea. And I joined in and we had quite a thriving business. We uh, sold English lightweight bicycles that in the end we were buying and truckloads at a time. And for the listeners, a lightweight bicycle today is probably a lot lighter than a lightweight bicycle was in the 50s. <laughs> the, yes, that's true. But they mm. were a huge departure from the normal bicycles being sold in the United States. Mm. Uh, they were Lightweight. <laughs> and so a thriving business. And so did you, you clearly... Uh, Sorry? If you bought a truckload of them, you could buy that. We could buy them for many about twenty-eight dollars a piece, and we sold them for forty-five dollars a piece or so. I think in the business school you call that a profit. I think you call that a good business. <laughs> so, so how many more professors started to ride bikes? Did you ever do a count beyond the two? I don't know how many professors did, but there were lots of students yeah. and. and uh, in fact, when we first got back to school, they'd actually be lined up down an alley by our store 
waiting to buy their bike. So pretty <laughs> I love it. I love because I, I remember reading as I was preparing for this interview that of course internships were very important for our students now but they weren't so common when you were going through college but you replicated that and more by starting your own business I love it okay so what I'd like to do now is, is uh, well as you know I've got a little bit more I want to cover before we go trip down memory lane we got up to when you sold your business to Corning Glass in 1986 and stayed on as board chair but you've served on many other boards, both for-profit and non-profit, including Sintas Board. So talk to me a little bit about the work you've done post-selling the company that you had before you fully retired, if that's even... Uh, even, <laughs> even before I sold to Corning, mm -hmm. I'd been uh, invited to be on a number of corporate boards. Um, and Sintas uh, was one of the early ones. Ultimately, I was on the Sintas board 30 years. Uh, but uh, there were major companies. What's now U.S. Bank was one of them. And um, Cincinnati Bell. And I could go on, but let's us go on. <laughs> but to your point, a lot, of, a lot of public company boards. But you've also been involved in... in on, for example, Christ Hospital and, and medical research centers as well. So talk to me a little bit about what's led you to some of the nonprofit work that you've done along with the public sector work you've done as well. Uh, in the medical world, I was recruited to be at a very young age uh, on the Christ Hospital board. And this will be my last year, which will be be 50 years and that is only only uh mr nippert of the gamble family of procter and gamble served longer than that he served 56 years that's impressive that's so impressive roger really amazing so let's switch gears and go for a trip down memory lane to your time at miami so when you look back what are some of your favorite memories of your time here uh i had i i was active in a fraternity but i i would say i loved the business school i loved um uh, uh the bicycle business was truly um uh, what we were learning all these things in classes and we were having to do it in the real world simultaneously i mean accounting paying our taxes, getting permits, doing this. And uh, we, we got a firsthand taste of the real world while we were preparing for the real world. And so that was that that was a signature part of the experience, certainly. I had some wonderful mem mentors at Miami. Uh, my advisor was uh, a gentleman by the name of William T. Blumquist. And he uh, ultimately, be, I think, became an associate dean of business. But he was, um, he and like just about everybody on the faculty always had time and interest to talk with us. And I got a huge benefit from my relationships with faculty members. That's great. Well, what subject, subject did you enjoy the least 
statistics. <laughs> I thought you might have said calculus. That still haunts us. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't know how to spell calculus in those days at Miami. And you you have to realize, Jenny, you're talking about ancient history here. The uh, but there this is before statistics. We would have we we had statistics on Sunday morning. And so Friday nights, we would all go to Hughes Hall where they had a big room full of Marchant calculators. This is before the electronic calculator. <laughs> and we would do our statistics and problems and hope we'd press the right button. And uh, uh, so I didn't like that one so much. I didn't I, realize there were classes on Sunday. That's a good <laughs> on Saturday. On Saturday. Oh, good grief. Good Saturday. Grief. Oh yes. Saturday. Mm. I think most of the my years at Miami, I had Saturday classes probably on half of the time just on, on Saturday morning. And it would generally be just one. That's so interesting. I'll, I'll remember that data point when I'm trying to find ways to increase the capacity of the school. <laughs> That's really interesting. You may want to talk to the faculty gently about that idea. <laughs> and the students, I think. <laughs> interesting, Roger. Interesting. What was your favorite class while you were here? Uh, I had a couple of them. One was geology. I thought that was just a fascinating uh, course uh and uh i uh i liked uh i i liked psychology my favorite really was industrial management taught by dr blumquist maybe so were you a night owl or a morning person did you prefer classes to be later in the day or did you like to get up bright and early and get them out of the way I like to get them out of the way. I really did. Mm. Because that another thing that did is that that gave me work time in our business also. And that and we spent a lot of hours in the business. I'll bet you did. I'll bet you did. What's your favorite building on campus? Not uptown, but on campus. My favorite business building on campus was uh Upham Hall. Um that's where all all of our business classes, I think, were taken in Upham Hall. And it was a beautiful building. It was about, I guess, uh, seven years old or so. And it just stood out by itself as it kind of still does, really, as a spectacular place. Where did you like to go uptown? What was your favorite place to hang out uptown? Not not where your business was, but uptown in general. Yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose I you can put me on the list along with those who say Mac and Joe's. There was a there was a nice restaurant there that very seldom, but occasionally, uh, if I wanted to take the girl who became my wife to a nice dinner, was called Osborne's. I like that. Um, I did go back took a look at Mac and Joe's a few years ago. And I I thought, well, there's some neat memories here, but 
why did we think this place was so great? <laughs> <laughs> we still go there. It's, it's part of the institution. All right. So you you mentioned taking your lovely wife, now wife, Joyce. So you are a mining merger. I know that. But tell me, how, how did you meet Joyce? Where did you meet oh, Joyce? Oh, uh, Joyce. Joyce is very smart. And she was a, she was a, uh, at the beginning of our sophomore year, she was a counselor in our dormitory. So she had to come down during freshman week. I had not met her. And, uh, but it was freshman week. And I thought a nice thing for me to do would be to come down and welcome the freshman girls to Miami University. And uh, I met Joyce at a freshman mixer. And after that, neither of us paid much attention to the freshman girls. <laughs> did did you get Joyce to work in the cycle store, or was was that not something she did? No, she 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 <laughs> she, she did not. She she was willing to use the bicycles that charge of an hour from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> she knew a place. <laughs> so when you look back on your time at Miami, what if anything would you have done differently? I don't think th that there is anything I can think of that I would have done substantially differently. I think because I graduated in a tiny school with a class of 12 people that with in Northern Ohio, I, I was not well prepared for Miami. And the first couple of years at Miami were uh, a, a tough struggle for me. But uh, they were for a lot of people who had similar situations. And then we kind of figured out what was going on and things got better. I wish I had been better prepared. I went to a school that didn't prepare me well. But in all fairness, the school had more to give than I took from it. <laughs> <laughs> Upon reflection, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's really interesting. So one of the things I want to pivot to a little bit is, is your relationship with Miami post-graduation. And you've served on the uh, as a trustee, you've been chairman of the Board of Trustees, you've served on the Business Advisory Council, the Board of Visitors, you've been very involved in philanthropy and supported the university, especially with the Howard Center for Writing Excellence. So talk to me about your ongoing relationship and what's kept you engaged with Miami University and leading toward the substantial support you've given for the Howe Center for Writing Excellence. I, yes, I, th I think probably the we were involved in the the athletic activities. Uh, Bo Schembechler, when he was the coach, would come down and talk to us. And some, mm -hmm. and so we had something called the Miami Men's Club. And then, but then I was invited to be on the Business Advisory Council. And, and then uh, I was invited by various deans to speak mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. university about my business. And mm -hmm. uh, when I was in school, Jenny, we only had one person from the outside world ever come and talk to wow, one of us. Wow. So that's how yeah. different mm. things were then. Mm. 
And so I did quite a bit of that. I was the executive in residence. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then uh, I was involved with the farmer, Dick mm -hmm. Farmer, yeah. in, um, on the uh, uh, mm -hmm. Board of Visitors. Mm -hmm. and, and then the governor invited me to be on the Board of Trustees. I nine years of that. Mm -hmm. And so... Our big continuing involvement uh, is with the House Center for Writing Excellence. Mm. And Joyce and I mm. have a deep passion mm. for what that's all about. Mm. And Miami is doing things that yeah. that area that are truly different mm. Mm. going on anywhere else in, that we know of in mm. America. Yeah. It's such an incredible gift that you made, and, and as, to your point, the center is is, is world class in terms of what it's doing, in terms of how innovative um, the approach to writing excellence has been, and and the impact it's having on our students through the work that it's being done. So thank you so much for the gift that you and Joyce have made, and your ongoing support and, and friendship with respect to that. I I, I deeply believe that the common thread mm. of highly successful people is their ability to communicate mm. well, particularly in writing. And it's uh, one of the biggest criticisms of employers uh, and Miami's working hard to do something about it, as you know, and as you are participating in. No, it's, it's really important. So you've mentioned a couple of times Dick Farman. Of course, you served on the Sintas board for several decades. So where did you meet Dick? How did you first meet Dick? Well, Dick Farmer. <laughs> Dick was the social chairman of his fraternity. And I was, and, and Dick, they had a party that university did not approve of, and they closed down his fraternity house. And one day, one of my fraternity brothers was visiting him in his house, and they said, you know, we can't have parties. And my fraternity brother said, well, maybe you could come over and use our house. So Dick had to, I knew of him, but I hadn't met him. And and so the, my brother brought him over and walked in to see me because I was the social chairman of the Sigma Chi's and he was going to have, I was the guy that had to okay him using our house. So Dick came in, I'd never laid eyes on him. He threw his arm around me and said, Rajo buddy, good to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was the beginning. That, that, that was the beginning of sixty-six year friendship that uh, was almost like no other. Yeah, that I know of. That's special, and and of course John Altman is in your um, peer group as well. So when and how did you first meet John? Well, John, I I didn't really know John school because his freshman year was my senior year. I got to know him in university activities and when he was teaching at Miami. Uh, but uh, we were, it was before, I guess, 
going back to the board of trustees days, that's when I really got to know him. He wasn't on the board yet then, but he, he became a national trustee later. It was the... Uh, and of course, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, you, you, there is a podcast with John Altman, and he did uh, endow the Altman uh, Institute for Entrepreneurship. So we've we've got another important um, person that we've mentioned on this call. Good, good. So as I come to the last last few questions that I have as part of my podcast, Roger, you know, as we sit back and you think about uh, advice that you might give young people starting out at the Pharma School of Business. What advice would you give them? Uh, I, I, I would give them one bit of advice that they obviously, if they're in the farmer school of business in this day and age, don't need, and that is really, really work hard, <laughs> get going early, and but the the biggest thing I would advise is to establish great relationships with the faculty members you can have you can have more than one mentor as a result of something like that and uh, I think that uh, that's a great part of a Miami education and I don't know of anybody that does it any better or maybe as well as Miami does in that area that's the other thing I guess I would say is really think a lot about what you might like, what you might find interesting uh, in uh, it, it, for careers. And uh, I once gave a talk called Doing Interesting Things with Interesting People in Interesting Places. And I think, I think if you can find that, you're going to have a great life. I love that. So just to reiterate what you said for the benefit of our students who are listening, the one thing that perhaps we might take for granted because we know no different is just how committed our faculty are to student success. And I'm in awe on a daily basis when I see how our faculty do show up and they, they care so deeply about how well our students do if, if they, they are there with an open door to provide support and counsel. And, and, and to your, a point you made earlier, we have to ask for it and sometimes we don't know to ask for it and sometimes we might have been to a school where we didn't have access to faculty so this might be a foreign thing for us but I think here at Miami reach out ask and seek help because there's there are plenty of people around who are willing to support and I think the other point that you made is really important especially for the students who are listening there are so many speakers who come on campus now I was surprised when you said Roger that you just had one <laughs> the whole time you were there yeah we pride ourselves in having speakers having incredible alumni who are willing to give time to students we showcase careers and again we don't expect our students to have it all figured out when they come in and seldom do students have it figured out so take the opportunities to listen and speak to and gain information from others as 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 you craft your own set of preferences as to what you might want to do. My next yeah. my next question, my last question, is what advice would you give someone early in their career, so one or two years out of the pharma school of business? What advice would you give that group? I I would again I would say. Uh, if you like 
what you're doing that you that I would urge that they look for try to establish some relationships that turn into mentorships within those companies. I had great mentors in my corporate life and uh, and my 13 years in the paper industry. And I, uh, I think you learn so much and, and, and they get to know you <laughs> and uh, there's a, a great benefit output from that. Again, reach out, be willing to reach out and seek guidance and ask for mentorship and support. So thank you so much, Roger, for your gift of time so that I could re record this podcast. And thank you also to you and Joyce for all that you've done for, for Miami University, the pharma school now, but the business school prior to that. We're just so grateful to both of you. One defining characteristic of our alumni is just how engaged they are, how willing they are to give, to find ways to support the school, our students, our faculty, staff, and other alumni. So thank you, Roger, so much, and go well as you continue in your journey beyond High Street. Thank you, Jenny. I've enjoyed the chat. Thank you.